Hello and welcome to episode four of the Weekly Song Podcast. I am Roger Heathers and with me is my co-host... Declan Kitchener. Hello. And we are a month into doing our Weekly Song Podcast now. If you count the start as when we actually started the challenge... As a start of writing it. Start of writing. Next week will be the month anniversary of... If you can call it an anniversary. A month anniversary of us releasing the podcast. That's the one. Exactly. Succinct. To the point. I like it. So for anyone who is new to the podcast, which you shouldn't be by now... But if you are. But if you are. The premise of the show is to write a song from scratch per week and share it for the first time on this podcast. Exactly. That is what we have to do. Uh, neither of us has any knowledge of what the other has done in the uh, in-between time, in mm. the week, so we'll both be hearing it fresh for each other. And I believe this week, uh, Roger has to start first and play his song that he has come up with in only seven days, ladies and gentlemen. Oh boy. Well, just as a bit of a precursor to it, um, I'm not going to say much about it to begin with, we'll discuss after, but we have seven days to write it, as Declan just said, and for the first, what was it, five? I had nothing. I tried things, I had nothing. Really? And then I wrote it all in one day, and it was such a relief. But um, anyway, without any further ado, this one is called... Potion number nine. Fine, I'll walk in the mud. I thought to myself as I stepped off the curb These leaves look just like the flakes in my cereal bowl Mine for gold all you want I'll be back in the like um, something guitar wise at least it's like, like something you'd hear like in an old American bar or something like that sort of slow shopper I can't work out what that was that a diminished chord well, you it was the there? diminished chord you showed me last week ah okay the um I think anyway that sort of that shape. sort of shape but I've got it so I'm doing um like a what it actually is fret wise a sixth on the low E 
seventh on the A, and then a seventh on the B, and then I'm kind of just basically playing those three and muting everything else. I like the way you're sort of doing uh, chord and melody sort of leading in with it, with that lots of thing. Like you're going... And then like uh, the top note of that second chord just becomes the melody to go down to the next one. Like. Yeah. Well, that, that's actually the last thing that came into the writing process. Oh, um, really? Like basically, I, I originally started the song with just Fine, I'll walk in the mud um, You'd straight into the words but then I thought I want something because it's like quite a nice like lilty type of and it really sets the tone and I thought I want to do something with that and uh, you're right it is like kind of like a ragtimey type of thing it could even potentially be a sort of like 12 bar blues type of thing but yeah that's where that's where my head was going like uh, you could just imagine like someone in you know like an old fashioned American bar just going Yeah, uh, what are the words about, if you don't mind my asking, uh, The words are about... Uh, the chorus is about a different thing to the verse. Okay. Classic me. <laughs> um, Classic us, please. The chorus is basically about... I went to go and visit my friend, Joe, the other day, and my friend Lizzie, and uh, just had a good day. Went home on the train, and I thought, that's what I want the song to be about. And potion number nine is a... Uh, a beer that the three of us used to drink when they lived in Cornwall. Oh, okay. I was wondering why potion number nine. Have you got? I was thinking, have you got eight other songs called potion? <laughs> call more songs potion, and you call one titled. <laughs> um, but I, I was also told that potion number nine is like the potion of love. Well, I didn't realise that until after I wrote the song. Oh, right. But um, it, the chorus is just about seeing. I mean, just like broadly, anyone you really like to spend time with, and then just thinking, I really enjoyed that. Um, the verses, um, <laughs> I was so stuck for lyrics. I was um, kind of like looking around everywhere, every, every, day, every day at work, every day I was like off work, looking around for anything to write about. And I went for a run uh, on Sunday, just before I wrote this song, and I hurt my leg, so I had to walk home a different way than I usually run. And um, there was a guy coming towards me with his dog, and it was like raining, and all the leaves were all over the ground, and it was really muddy. Raining, as you might be able to hear in the background of our podcast today. Podcast. Bit of rain there for you guys. Um, yeah, so I was walking back home, and this guy was coming towards me. I was in a bit of a bad mood, and he kept on walking towards me. And I thought, I thought, okay, I'll just walk on the curb. I will just step off the curb and walk in in the road. Fine, you know, I was in that kind of mood. And then I thought, I'm that bit in the Simpsons, <laughs> you know, when I oh, was yeah. walking. Fine, fine, I'll stand in the mud. <laughs> yeah, so I basically <laughs> thought that. And I thought of that episode of The Simpsons, so the first line of the song, fine, I'll walk in the mud, I thought. It's interesting you say that, because one of the original lyric ideas of my song this week, I was thinking of, um, you know, The Simpsons episode where Maggie is born? I had this oh, phrase, yeah, I think do I it for her. Oh, yeah, yeah, stuck yeah. Stuck in my head. I didn't use it eventually, which is why I'm saying it now, but, like, um, it's interesting that we both went there. Sorry, continue with your thing. No, no, that's... Um, so, that was there. Um, and then, so that, that's that bit. I guess I'll kind of cover it all because it's all quite brief. It's a short song. Mine for gold all you want. I'll be back in the fall. That coupled with pine for love all you want, kind of the same type of thing. I spoke to my dad on the phone um, just before I wrote the song in in, in entirety, and um, he was telling me about this show he watched about Australian gold miners. Uh, one of the guys on the show, if I can remember this properly, um, he was being interviewed and he said. Um, these people come out here to look for gold all the time. You don't always find it, but I've come ac- in the 30 years I've been doing this, I've come across some real treasure, but you just have to keep looking. It doesn't happen every day. You just keep on going through. And it's kind of an analogy for, I guess, life in general. You keep going through and these special moments don't always happen, but you wait for them. So it's kind of like that. And then, um, let me see. The man who looks like a god with Floridian friends is the producer Rick Rubin. You familiar with Rick Rubin? I've heard of him. I've probably heard some of the stuff he has produced. Well, he's a oh, founder of Def Jam Records. He produced Red Hot Chili Peppers, Johnny Cash, 
uh, Taylor Swift, Kanye West, loads of different people, just one of my favorite producers. And I've gotten into him recently in his interviews, mm. and um, he has a really, he has a good lifestyle, and he lives in Florida, and he does a lot of exercise, and he eats well, and all that stuff. And um, he looks kind of like a god, because he's got, like, long gray hair and a long gray beard. And he's got these Floridian friends, so I threw that in the song. And uh, that's pretty much the lyrics. And then, the, obviously, the chorus comes back to, But anyway, any day I see you, I'm always smiling long after I'm home. So the verses can be anything, because the chorus just go, But anyway, that's yeah. what I really want to say. I can stand in the mud, but who cares? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, I, on the, I think it's on the chorus. I love the thing you were doing with the... Um, again, it's going to work really well on the audio podcast, but... <laughs> Like yeah. um, shifting that E up but keeping the D in the bass. Yes, I was actually really pleased with that. And it, it was a complete accent. I wanted to have the chorus start on a D, which is, as a little aside quickly, something I do quite often. If a song's in its tonic, I'll have it... Shit, I'm going to screw up this terminology again. I'll have the chorus in its fourth chord, basically. Subdominant. Subdominant, that's the one. Um, just because it gives it that lift. So I knew I wanted that. Uh, I could have gone uh, open D to open E, but I thought... Have that like that it really gives it a nice feel. Really, yeah, it makes it a bit more complex. Like that's you know that sort of uh, subdominant trick is something. For example, if you listen back to podcast number two, that's something that I ended up doing with mine, which was mostly in A, and the chorus just starts. The world is sinking around us. It's essentially doing the alternative to what you're doing there, but the way you're doing it, like it just adds a bit more depth to it. Like. Mm. Uh, like, I love inversions, I love putting new Yeah, same. They're always nice. And just anything... It's, when very, you... it's very much a piano thing, but it's lovely to get it on guitar, isn't it? Well, just before you... Because when, when we were setting up the mics and everything to do the pod today, um, Declan had to go back and get his headphones from the... Uh, from outside. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I leave them out in the garden every night to get wet. <laughs> Thinking they might grow. Yeah. And I played it on one piano. One day they'll fit. And... Um, Obviously, you can see the way the bass has changed more when you play it on piano, because left hand and right hand. Mm. And I like any of those chords where you're changing the, the bass for a different, unexpected note. It's always nice. Yeah. Which I got from you. That's something that I kind of have stolen from your uh, technique, I think. I didn't use yeah. to substitute bass notes at all. They used to just be what you'd expect every time. Oh, right. Yeah. So, oh. thanks. <laughs> I feel honoured. <laughs> I'm so glad that I nicked that trick off someone else. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I can't really think of anything else to say about this song It's quite a short one And mm. it's uh, An interesting thing for the recording I did this week That is on my SoundCloud Slash ROGG567 um, It's the first weekly song I've recorded all in one take um, mm. As opposed to like Multi-layering overdubs and all that stuff So it's literally just Essentially like you would have been here uh, Just acoustic singing exactly. Straight up so SoundCloud sounds pretty much exactly the same as what it'll sound like on this week's podcast. So that's a first, but that's about all I can think of saying it about it, you know? It's, it's pretty cool. I really like it. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. So shall we move on to Declan Kitchener's song? Okay. Give me a couple of seconds. I need to get over to the piano. Sure, no worries. Okay, so... <clears throat> okay, so this is um, my song this week. Um... It's called Future Fighters. Good uh, title. Yes. Yeah. No, no guessing which band that was inspired by. It was obviously, um, it was obviously Nickelback. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. Got it wrong already.
stuff yeah cheers still got that cold um <laughs> no i'm just a bad singer and it's tricky for me to hit some of those notes uh for some reason um no great yeah. stuff i really like that um really great piano work on that i thought cheers um yeah in actual fact this isn't a piano song did you write it on guitar it's meant to be on guitar i came up with the riff on piano i pushed it over to guitar and i found i liked it but i had a bit of a problem with it hmm um, which isn't a problem in terms of like how it sounded. It's just a problem in terms of uh, how it, how I play it. Oh, okay, right. So that main riff on guitar becomes. Which you know you get that lovely chord there, which is just a B flat over. Uh, E flat, but it's just difficult to then go back to the have that nice slow B flat in there because you're playing the riff. So when you hear all of this, it is meant to be a guitar song, right? So the left hand is playing essentially what the bass guitar will be playing. I see, right? And the uh, piano is playing. Uh, the right hand is playing what the electric guitar would be playing, with one exception. Like, I was telling Roger before this, like, I had a bit of trouble with what I wanted to play on um, the chorus, because I'm a rubbish musician, if you hold that a second. So that chorus... Uh, what originally that was, when I came up with the music, because I wrote the music first, which I tend to do, what I, that originally was, was... A,
you know something more like that that's you've got that more like a thing yeah that's the, I like that so that's what that morphed into the chorus how uh, well I just I came up with the melody over it though uh, but um, I just found it really difficult to sing the two over each other. Of course. I mean, any way you look at this, whether you're playing it on guitar or piano, it's a complicated rhythm part. It's not like you're just strumming chords or playing, you know, straight-ahead crotchet piano notes. Yeah, you are. It's like skin, uh, skin stripping. They're string skipping and, uh, like, you know, it's fast as well. So, it's you know, it's if you're just playing on guitar, it's fine. If you're playing on guitar and you're trying to do something else, mm. it... Uh, adds to the pressure a little bit absolutely but, you know the intention is that i would be playing guitar and other people will be playing this song uh like that's kind of what inspired the lyrics as well like um like this song has been through so many drafts of lyrics i yeah? can't even uh i think i've got some old ones here i'm heading back to the grind i've started counting my time a copper coin in my hand watchful eyes understand and then i just realized i didn't know what the fuck i was talking about i like so. those they're nice i like the copper coin in my hand yeah um, that, that's the one line i liked yeah, as well yeah. but i just realized i didn't know what i was talking about hey welcome to my world <laughs> but yeah i just ended up the melody i just kept playing that on piano for the uh verse and i just all i could hear in my head was um see me which is you know it's okay but it just sets you off on that track of oh no one can see me i'm a miserable git and everything yeah it creates more of a narrative doesn't it but um i've been told repeatedly by many many people that i tend to write very miserable songs even when i'm being <laughs> happy they are sad songs so I thought, right, well, I'm actually going to try and write something that isn't uh, miserable. And I was struggling for ages for what the words would be up until I thought of changing it to can, can everybody hear me? Because then you're asking if an audience can hear you because you've got something to say to them. Yes. So that just uh, changing it from can anybody see me to can everybody hear me. Yeah, and it still scans as nicely. And yeah, it's, it's positive. It's a hopeful song. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm kind of glad to say I've never been one of the people who said your songs are miserable. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know it. Uh, but like, I do tend to write about miserable things, about uh, things not going my way, things still not going my way, <laughs> things not going the way I want them to. You know, it's, it's. I just write miserable songs. So I just thought, well, I'm going to actually try and write something that's got a slightly positive message. Uh, in the middle which is why that chorus melody is quite simple as well though mm. like you can't if you know this is intended to be like I was, I was thinking like the Foo Fighter chanty style of song like um, they did come to mind not just because of the title um, especially in the chorus you can really kind of hear that type of production and sound around it I think yeah well it's kind of like one of those things you notice whenever you go to concerts and everything like particularly if you go to festivals people will just sh like start singing riffs and music but they'll sing the simple ones so you're you're never going to get you're not going to get too much of people singing the riff to plug in baby which is <laughs> but you will get people go it's so like it's, football chants, isn't it? Exactly. They're, that, they're only going to the do the simple things. That's the mentality it comes from. You either have to know it really, really well or it's got to be really, really simple. Exactly, exactly. I mean, all the most popular riffs are pretty simple. Well, yeah, it's like that whole um, uh, Deep Purple who produced some fantastically complicated music. The one everybody knows is... I was going to say, with this new song, Future Fighters, it reminds me, lyrically, of, um, correct me if I get this wrong, but The Plan, your first week, I believe? I was kind of hoping you wouldn't say that. <laughs> it's no, just I'm, the same, it's like... It's the same, it's the same uh, sort of general vibe. It doesn't help that they're both on piano, but... Um, well, not just that, but like it's kind of like that theme of, like, we few, we happy few, and like we're kind of, we know what we want, sort of, you know, lyrical thing to it. Yeah. I think, you know, but both both equally good in that in that way. Yeah, thank you. Obviously, there is one thing I really do like in this one, which is... Yeah, what was that? I noticed that when you played it. Well, um, I've worked out that if you put the third in there, it's a E-flat major seventh with a ninth on top. Woo-wee! It's nice, it's so nice. Essentially, all I'm doing is just taking out that... Um, 
so it's so technically it's B flat over E flat, but it sounds like the other one. That's really nice, and it sits nicely in the context of the song too. Yeah, well, I was I was I was uh, just playing around the riff on my fingers, and I was thinking. I just wondered what would happen if I went to and mm. kept playing the riff and it worked really well. That's something you do quite often is you'll have an ongoing thing in the right and do something different with the left to create uh, build and tension. Yes. Which is uh, something I really admire, something I'd like to do a lot more of. Thank you. It happens better at a piano. Oh, of course. As like, we both know. Like, yeah. It's so much easier to control the bass. Otherwise you're just playing them. bass notes with your thumb, yeah. which is... Um, Tricky. Something I think I've had to do with mine this week. Yeah. Uh, once or twice anyway, but yeah, a lot better on piano, a lot more sort of uh, substance to it, because you can kind of octave your, your bass notes as well, or you can play fists with them, as I often do. Yeah. You can do so much more than you can with guitar. Mm. Stupid guitar. Stupid guitar. How dare you be the best all-round <laughs> instrument for people who just want to give a general idea of music and have a really exciting electric sound and you want to get really complicated. How dare you be the best instrument ever. We have t-shirts with that on them coming soon. Yes. <laughs> In point four prompt. <laughs> I think that's about as much as I can say. I really like this week's song, Declan. I really liked it. Thank you. Yeah, great piano work. I was The only other thing I was thinking of saying is that the moment you started playing it, it reminds me of uh, Seven Seeds of Rye. Yeah, the only th- I actually had that thought, but only for like a minute because it's I sort of see the connection like the it's you can play it. Which is the um, you know the fast right hand with the bass note. Yeah, exactly. It crossed my mind, but then I sort of dismissed it. But like it's um, I'll take that as a massive compliment. I mm. love Queen. Right, uh, so uh, each week now we have a discussion topic um, to keep us talking, because otherwise we'd be in complete silence. Co- <laughs> no, I'm joking. But we have a discussion topic each week, and uh, this week we thought it'd be fun to discuss our respective top five songwriter or songwriting teams uh, on the pod. Uh, and we're going to kind of do it back and forth, so I'll say one, Declan say one, and you know. And uh, yeah, so we're going to discuss our favourite songwriters this week. Cool. Who's going first? I can. Yeah, you go for it. Yeah, it was actually quite um, difficult for me to try and find five songwriters to sort of do. Bear in mind, I came up with like ten or something, I had to whittle that down, but most of the bands I listen to are rock bands. Mm. So, for example, while I think, for example, Tony Iommi is an amazing riff uh, master and everything like that, Mm. he doesn't write songs, he writes parts of songs. Like, the whole Black Sabbath thing was a collaborative process, same for things like Led Zeppelin and everything. Sure. Like, and there are loads of bands of mine that I love the songwriting, but I just can't, um, I can't find out who in particular wrote the song, so... Because it was a committee, rather than... Yeah, either that yeah. or, like, I've never researched and they just credit everything as being by the band, mm. so it's just hard to find. But um, I managed to come up with some examples, and I think, I think my first songwriter is someone called Alan Menken. Okay. Who's the Alan Menken? Well... This is going to invalidate my answer completely, but he is the man who wrote most of the Disney songs for films in the 90s, what's called the Disney Renaissance, when they had things like The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, fantastic. Those are all great songs. Yeah. Those movies. Yeah, like they've, um, like this is the guy who wrote things like Under the Sea and um, Tale as Old as Time. Mm. Like and he's very sorry. Yeah, (laughs) but he uses like clever chords and everything. So, for example, if you play for a point of comparison, let's play the verse from "Let It Go," which is a film I absolutely despise. But uh, just uh, E minor to C to D to A minor. Four chords, same thing with the chorus, it's just D to D, sorry, G to D to E minor to C. Let it go, let it go. Like it's just very basic stuff. Yeah. Whereas, for example, in a song from The Little Mermaid called Poor Unfortunate Souls, you start off in a C minor, you have a C minor, a D flat. G over D, G, A flat, D flat, and G7. Like, it's just, 
It's a it's, whole different ballpark. At yeah, that you're point. not playing with one, four, and five here. So the end result is something that's. Um, I admit that in the past I've been a nasty. They weren't kidding when they called me well a witch. But you'll find that nowadays I mended all my ways, repented, seen the lights, and made a switch. That's really great writing. I like, like that. I love the fact that it just moves up from that initial sort of point, th- uh, point where you think it might rest on that minor. It just moves up a semitone up to there. And he's clever with this is crossing more into the territory of um, scoring music, but he's also very clever with themes as well. One example I use is in Beauty and the Beast. Hmm. Uh, the obvious major theme from that film for the hero characters is be our guest, be our guest, which is three notes moving out. He has a song later on called Kill the Beast, or I can't remember what it's called, but it's the one that's got Kill the Beast, Kill the Beast, like with the villagers. So when the final battle sequence, you have like combating in the musical score. Yeah, yeah, I remember that from when I last watched it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, same thing with um, a song from Little Mermaid. And I, I know we're talking about this a long time, but uh, no, no, no. This is all interesting. Go on. But like uh, Ariel's, the obvious plot of that movie is that um, Ariel has her voice stolen so that she can go onto land, and the notes they use to represent her voice are, or they may be that in another scale, but it's that position. And if you look at the start of her signature song. Look at this stuff, isn't it neat? Wouldn't you think my collection's complete? That's like it's, fantastic. It's built into the structure of that, um, and it's also clever for it's doing the dreams thing. Like it's starting on four and five, so you've immediately got uh, like tension. tension in there that you need to resolve. just leads off to somewhere else because you've put a major second in there that's really good he's yeah um, such a good writing yeah and it's you get diverse writing as well you get something like uh uh kiss a girl which is there you see her sitting there along the way she don't got a lot to sit like all that sort of 12 bar standard stuff as opposed to um you get some more outrageous stuff That's the beginning of Prince Ali. Prince mm. Ali, fabulous he, Ali Ababa, major, show respect, show your respect, down on one knee. Like, he just puts a lot of thought into what is essentially going to be kids' songs, but it's done amazingly well. And it's, I think it's done so viscerally as well. It's not like you go, hey, he's being really smart here. It's just so visceral and the chord changes really yeah, they are still, affect with the lyrics. Yeah, they are still catchy songs and everything. Yeah. Like, um... A good example of like his music supporting the emotion of a scene is Whole New World. Like um, it starts off in D major. I can show you the world, shining, shimmering, splendid, etc., etc. Mm. But then the moment where Jasmine sort of falls in love, like it shifts up from being in D major to being in unbelievable skies, indescribable feeling. Like it shifts up to F um, major, is that? Yes, it shifts That's up three so semitones to yeah. F major. So you go from like it's just that mm. great sense of upward movement. And it's such a that's an unusual bit of modulation as well because usually you'd go a semitone or a tone. Yeah, you but just, he's going three semitones with that with that chord modulation. Exactly. Like he's very clever composer. Knows See, exactly I mean, this doing. is news to me because I knew I've always had a lot of respect for the Disney songs of especially of that era but i never realized it was sort of one person particularly behind it i think the only one he didn't do uh, the only major one he didn't do was um the lion king which was done by elton john and tim rice right uh and while the lion king is my favorite animated film of all time mm. the 90s disney renaissance has just such a plethora of good songs and yeah. hits and you know it just works within the film as well so it's fantastic songwriting absolutely yeah, that's that's a really good first choice. Sorry, I went I rambled. No, on a no, no, bit there. that's that's good. If anything, I'm going to uh, balance the books a little bit because my, <laughs> I've literally just written down five names uh, that I uh, that I guess I'll just kind of talk about. My first one on the list is one which I'll be surprised if you don't have, unless you kind of 
didn't have it because it was an obvious one, which is the writing partnership between Lennon and McCartney. Okay, see, I've actually got one of them later up on my list. Yeah? Yeah. Well, just one of them? Yeah, I considered having the two of them, but I thought one of us was going to talk about the two of them, that being... Well, I tell you what, I mean, you've got one, I could talk about the other. Talk about John Lennon, then. So you've got Paul? I've got Paul. Okay, not to give anything away. Not to give anything away. Um, I'll talk about John Lennon. Okay, what I like about John Lennon is he really informs and inspires a type of lyrical approach that I love, which uses really dreamlike, psychedelic, ethereal words to great emotional effect. Later on, you never get the sense that he's talking literally. No, exactly. But everything makes sense. Everything makes sense. And he has such a a childlike way of making these really strange abstract things make sense to us as listeners. I think he just has this amazing creativity to what he does. Um, which I've always respected. I think he's a great uh, chordsmith as well. I think uh, you might not, you might even know the chords, but I don't. Uh, something like "I Am the Walrus." Oh yeah, that was fantastic. Um, started off with. Which just for. Reference there, you're going from a B major to an A major to a G major to an F major to an E major to an E major 7 to a D major to a D major 7. That's all in the intro Mm. before you get to the I am here as you are here as you are and all the rest of that. Absolutely, and I mean, that's a really great example of the growth I feel like uh, John Lennon had throughout his career and um he could do so much and i think he he's not undersung as a songwriter at all because he's you know always he's one of the most celebrated uh british musicians but at the same time time, i think he i don't know i think he was so smart with the way he wrote and stuff in his solo career as well he's just always been a huge influence on my writing but um um yeah i can't think of anything more to say than that i just think he's fantastic um especially with mccartney as well I would agree with that choice there. Right, um, on my list, this is where we start getting into um, obvious territory. But mm-hmm. my number four was um, Dave Grohl. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. He, I considered him for mine, yeah. Yeah, I was struggling between having uh, Dave Grohl and Frank Turner could interchangeably go at this point in my list. Because mm. uh, you know, ever since I've heard Frank Turner, he's been a massive influence on my songwriting. But Dave Grohl just has the pop craft. Yes. And I don't mean that in a dismissive way to rock music. I mean that he just can write so many... He's another one like Jimmy Page and Tony Iommi who's got the riff ability, but where he differs is that he can actually construct entire songs as well. He knows about songwriting. Mm. You know, being in Nirvana probably didn't do much to hurt his uh, songwriting being partnered Absolutely. up with... Absolutely. You know. With Kurt. With, uh, yeah, having to... Like be around Kurt Cobain and everything, but he te- he does some really weird things in some of his songs, but he just all makes it all work really well. For example, the beginning of Breakout. What the actual chords for that section are are B, which um, we're going to call one, uh, E, which is your four. C sharp, which is a major second, uh-huh. and C, which is a flattened major second. Yeah. They're just chords you would not put together, but it just... Like, he's... And he, he's just... I don't know, he's, he knows the construction of songs really well. Like, I think we've probably both seen the interview where he talks about uh, songwriting as if he's writing on a drum kit. Yes. The riff for The Pretender is, you know, that in spades. You know, he's sort of said before, you know, that, this bit's a hi-hat. And this bit's a kick drum. But you get that same sense as well on the opening riff. The, um... the sense that two things are happening yes you get the sort of sense of the um, uh, and the 
I think it's a huge part of why his music works so well rhythmically. You know, he has a real, use the word already, but a real visceral rhythm to his music, and I think it's so appealing to people. Exactly. And he's very good at supplanting rhythms over each other. One thing I've noticed he does a fair bit in um, Foo Fighters songs is uh, he'll take a riff from earlier on and just place everything else over it. So, for example, in Monkey Wrench, over the chorus chords, you've got "Don't wanna be your monkey wrench," and on the last one, he brings in the in Arlandria, he puts some intro riff back on the on the main chorus progression. Yeah, Saint Cecilia, he has that Saint Cecilia, Saint Cecilia. You got everything else going down and everything else, the rest of the rest going up. He's very good at cross rhythms in pop. Um, I think that's all I've got to say on him. Uh, uh, my next one does that very well as well, uh, having a lyric that um, doesn't particularly uh, scan literally, but it makes a lot of sense to you when you listen to it. Um, I'm not doing mine in order, by the way. Okay, I am building up 5, 4, you 3, are... 2, 1. Shit. John Lennon was my number five. <laughs> no, I'm just going to go in the order I've written it, but there are no particular order because I really like all of them. Um, my next one may be the most, uh, the one that I take the most influence from on my list. Um, and he's one that I know you, you know I'm a fan of, Elliot Smith. I wondered when he was going to creep into your list. Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Elliot Smith. Um, he once said of his songwriting, a good set of lyrics should be like one half of a conversation that the listener fills in the other half of. And I've always liked that. Uh, he was often, because he was, uh, he committed suicide in his early 30s and he was depressed throughout a lot of his life um, and addicted to substances and all that sort of thing. So a lot of people kind of listened to his lyrics and thought they were about that subject matter. Mm. But on the most part, according to him, um, they weren't really about that. They were more about, you know, either a take on that as a jumping off point or like a fictional thing altogether. Um, and it's something that Kurt Cobain said as well, that just because I say I in a song doesn't really mean I'm referring to myself. It's, you know, songs aren't literal, they're not diaries. Exactly. And I think because he had all these these issues and everything, people think that his lyrics were a diary. Maybe sometimes they were, but he, mm. had, a, he had a great way of, um, of using lyrics in a really smart way. Um, chordly, he was amazing. He, he did some really smart things with chords and open tunings and... Uh, his albums are just like a masterclass in songwriting to me. I listen to them, it's just like a, a benchmark I could never reach. And it's nice to have that as a songwriter. And he's also just a great producer and musician in general. He played drums on a lot of his own albums and bass and keys and all that sort of stuff. That's his proper multi-instrumentalist then. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, Elliot Smith, number two on my list. I'm saying two rather than four, so. Fair enough. <laughs> so you're going down and I'm going up. Yeah, but I'm in no particular order because ah, okay. mine kind of are all over the road here. So, Fair enough. Who's your number three? Okay, my uh, number three are Benny and Bjorn from ABBA. Yay! Hooray! Uh, and I'm not being ironic. I genuinely think they are both amazing. I remember my dad telling me this. I don't know how true it is. It's probably not true at all, but I remember hearing them hearing him say something like, oh, ABBA never let a song out of the studio unless it had five hooks in. If that's true, that's the coolest fact. Yeah. Well, I've always sort of pointed to Mamma Mia as being like a perfect example of that. You've got hook number one in the... I don't know why I'm not playing it on here. Hold on. <laughs> You're in front of a piano. Hook number one. Hook number two... And you've got more things like just one look and I can hear what you say. One more look and I can. And Mamma Mia, here I go again. Mama, how can I resist? You've already got four hooks and I've missed out a couple along the way as yeah. well, but they were just such. They were good at sh shoving their songs full of good stuff. Uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But it's like, uh, even in, for example, the chorus of um, SOS, which is my favourite Abba song, you get. Uh, you know, something which is mostly tonal and four chords, which is uh, one, four, two, five. So we 
if you're near me, darling, can't you hear me, SOS? But then you get this turnaround in the middle of it. When you're gone, though I cry, how can I carry on? Which I always refer to as being the 70s thing, because I heard, I heard that particular chord arrangement a lot in the 70s, I just never heard it after that. Yeah, plus they could write some brilliantly heartbreaking songs if they wanted to, like I love the song One of Us. It's my favourite other song. Is, like, I've tried to learn it on there before and to sing it open mics and everything, and you've got stuff like The Winner Takes It All, like that's one of those songs that if it starts I just have to listen to it all the way through. Absolutely. I think you once said because um, they weren't you know, English wasn't their primary language. No, right they, um, they, they, uh, their English was their second language, so they had to write in a foreign language. So, and considering that, some lines you S- get in some something of, like The Winner Takes It All are yeah. just fantastic lyrics. Like, it's, I'm filled with admiration for them, so that's my number three. Fantastic. Benny and Bjorn from ABBA. Agreed, I completely agree with that. Um, third on my list, unsurprisingly, if you've been listening to the last two podcasts, is Paul Simon. Um, yes. Yeah, Paul Simon I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of, uh, particularly his pre-1980s work. Okay. I mean, he's, he's released over 50 years' worth of music at this point, and he's still going. And he, I think he's in his 70s now. He's, you know, getting on a bit. But um, his pre-1980s stuff um, I particularly like because he was more melodic and more chordal. And now he's kind of like, I'm sure Paul Simon fans will disagree with me, but I think he's more sort of lyrical based now, which is all well and good. But yeah. 60s and 70s, he was in his heyday as far as I'm concerned. Um, the 60s, he released five albums with Simon and Garfunkel, which are just all so solid. It's great harmony writing from uh, Art Garfunkel and them. Um, and then something I've just gotten into is his solo material. Mm. He released his first solo album in 1972, and he released three really great solo albums from 72 to, I think, something like 76, 77, um, before he sort of took a hiatus, did some acting, and came back with um, with Graceland in the 80s, which was like, you know, You Can Call Me Al, that song. Uh, no, I can't say I've heard that one. You might, you might know it if you hear it. But, yeah, if I heard the proper version. Um, but, but, but yeah, really great lyricist great chord writer and just somebody you can tell who have really put a lot into his craft and just wrote all the time he had a great style of conversational lyricism that he put into a lot of his songs you've mentioned this before on, yeah um uh can't remember what the song's called title number two my one yeah but um i took that from his song america but he does it all the time where we're kind of like i mean a lot of songwriters use the technique where like they'll create a character and have that as the um, nucleus of the song yeah. but he did it to such great effect and you could just tell he practiced this stuff all the time and he just lived and breathed songs and he he said once that he only had one job in his whole life and it was uh, in New York and he used to have to go and get shoes for customers in a shoe store he'd be the one who runs to the back and get the right side and bring it back to the front and then since then his job for over 50 years has been songwriting so he's just so accomplished and i remember uh the lead singer of a band i was recently in showed me some simon and garfunkel songs and i was really impressed with like the chord structure and everything like the way it's jumping between like uh just staying in key doing things out of key but it all seemed to fit like mm-hmm. i think you said this before in um isn't mrs robinson the uh verses in a different key to the uh, chorus almost obvious when you break it down but just the fluidity he is that a word he yes. had in his he had in his songwriting and his chord changes were fantastic something like uh i can't play it but bridge over troubled water the chords and that are just all over the place they modulate and go all over the place and uh yeah i don't know he did his own song so much justice too and he had his own voice which i really respect in a songwriter mm. so that's my number three cool what's your number two my number two is paul mccartney uh-huh. You can all you can already guess who my number one is going to be, can't you? But Paul McCartney, like obviously you were talking about John Lennon earlier, like in the early days of the Beatles, they just had so many solid hits. Yeah. Like between them it's just astounding, you know, what the two of them managed to do. But I've always had respect for McCartney, particularly later's McCartney, willingness to experiment with genre and everything. Like, for example, he, on the same album he wrote Honey Pie and Helter Skelter. One of them is a charming 20s ditty. One of them is the first heavy metal song ever written. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you know, you don't get much more distinct than that. Um, but also, like, he's... I get the feeling he's more conscious about what he's doing with 
melody than Lennon is. Lennon is very intuitive and one of the most emotionally intelligent songwriters of all time. Yeah. But you get McCartney using proper tricks, like um, the chorus in uh, Penny Lane is actually key-changing down to a key below. So that's... If you've ever wondered why the chorus to Penny Lane feels a little uh, off from the main track or, like, a little... Uh, removed mm. it's because he's actually changing a key down that's fascinating so smart or like um, one thing that I've noticed that, that's always stuck in my head as being quite an intelligent thing was on Fall in the Hill like you start off on this D6 and you're in the major scale you go along the song an E minor on D so he's already using that bass trick go along further along and here's the clever bit but the fool on the hill sees the sun going down you've changed into a minor yeah and you're keeping that bass trick going minor D minor to a B flat with a D in the bass mm. you only release it on the C, uh, which is C sound. In his head, see the world spinning round. Like, really, considering the subject matter of the song, it really helps to create that sort of distance and shift. Yeah. Like, a, really, like, cool. Don't you just wish that Lennon and McCartney had their own weekly song podcast? Yes. How many more Beatles songs would we have? It'd be amazing. Oh, that'd be amazing. And just to just be able to hear what went into it although would what, be fascinating. Although if you were doing it, like, uh, you would eventually just have one week where Lennon, like, said, oh, right, I'm writing a song with one chord. Look on your mind, relax and float downstream. <laughs> it is not dying. It is not dying. Yeah. Yeah, Paul McCartney. He's a, he was a brilliant counterpoint to Lennon as well. Yes, absolutely. Like, um, as much as we've talked about them individually... I think you were right in putting them down as a team. Like, they are just... When they work together. Mm. I mean, I think they were even a team in the later part of their career where they were separate entities writing separate songs, but they'd come together on the same album, and I kind of consider that a sort of team effort as well. You'd have something like the White Album, which has very much like, this is Paul's song, this is John's song, separate things. Mm. Um, with some collaboration, of course, don't get me wrong. Uh but just the contrast they created is something that makes the Beatles album so interesting and so timeless. Yeah. Uh, yes, but that that's my number two. Good choice. Well, Great. perfect choice. I mean, we kind of covered Lennon McCartney between us there. Uh, again, mine not in any order. So my next one is Brandon Flowers. He is the lead singer and songwriter from The Killers. I wasn't expecting that of you. I must be honest. Uh, yeah, uh, he's just one of my all-time favourite songwriters. He always has been. He's a very simple songwriter in the chords he uses, but the emotion he delivers and uh, the general sound of his songs, he's obviously very Beatles-influenced. Um, one of my all-time favourite albums is Sam's Town, which was the killer's second album. And he wrote on piano. He writes on piano a lot, but like he can translate those piano compositions to a band setting so easily and so well. Mm. And you can kind of tell when listening, when listening to The Killers that it's like they're all piano-based songs, even though they've got crashing guitars and cymbals and everything. Well, I've played um, Mr. Brightside in a band before, and I found out that that, that main guitar, like it's a bugger to play on guitar, but when you play it on piano... It just feels really natural. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I'll play like a little bit of something by Brandon Flowers, which I think is so simple chordly. Um. We hope you enjoyed your stay. It's good to have you with us, even if it's just for the day. We hope you enjoy your stay. Outside the sun is shining Seems like heaven ain't far away We, it's good to have you with us Even if it's just for the day And something like that, it's just one, four, five and six 
but it just works so effectively and you almost forget that they're simple chords. Yeah. Because I have a tendency to kind of shy away from chords that are pretty simple and pretty predictable, but he doesn't. He just, whatever works, he uses. That's, that's pretty damn cool. So who is your number one? Okay, anyone who knows me will have guessed this one already, but my number one is Freddie Mercury from Queen as a songwriter. I like, knew he's, it. Exactly. Well, he's just... It's something... Like, Queen was the first band I properly got into. Mm. Uh, so maybe that clouds my judgement, except it doesn't. But he's just such a talented writer to come up with things as varied as, like, Killer Queen. With that kind of, like, feel to it, to something... To, you know, all three parts of Bohemian Rhapsody. You've got, like... something like Death on Two Legs, which has got basically a guitar riff built into its bass running down a chromatic scale. Like that's basically yeah. just a chromatic rundown. To something like Crazy Little Thing Called Love, where he basically wrote it in three chords on the ba in the bath. Yeah, so varied, wasn't he? Yeah, and again, he's moves songs through emotion really well. Like my favourite example is in um, "We Are the Champions." Like uh, I'll try and get through this quickly, but you start off with a minor feel. So we're in E flat. We're in uh, E flat major, but it feels like we're in C minor. They're both the same scale, but. feeling like you're in E major, uh, E flat major. Uh, you're in the same scale, but you've just shifted from a minor emphasis to a major Emotionally, it yeah, changes. Yeah, as the, um, yeah, exactly, as the lyrics get more hopeful. Started here, we're on the five of E flat. So we go down to the four of E flat, to the five of E flat, to the five of C, and then suddenly you're in F. <laughs> like that is fantastic. I've like, always loved that change. Yeah, like just a. that you're keeping on that five in the bass so like it helps sell the thing like when like the, the first two chords are the four and five of the first go and then are the four and five of the next go it's just it's amazing I don't I can't imagine he sat down and consciously thought like I'm going to do this with the bass and put it in here and like I, I don't think he's like that but it just fits with the words so long to give you that real sense of upward movement up to We are the champions, my friends. Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. To amazing effect. Yeah. But um like he's like he's just a fantastic songwriter. Like I I think I don't know. I don't know what there is, there is to say about him without me just gushing about him for ages. So I'll let you get on to your... I'd like to say... Um, oh, I forgot I had another one. I'd like to say Declan's wearing a Freddie Mercury t-shirt today to this wasn't. This wasn't planned. Yes, it was. <laughs> uh, my last one is not my number one songwriter of all time. I kind of wish I'd have ordered these, but um, I think Declan put a lot more work into his list than I did. Uh, not to say that mine, any of mine should be discounted, but... The last one on my list, who just happens to be fifth, is Sufjan Stevens, who is uh, not somebody Declan knows a lot about, um, but um, he's, uh, let me think here, he's the most contemporary of the songwriters on my list. He's put out, in my opinion, his best work in the last ten years, um, particularly an album that was released last year, early 2015, um, called Carrie and Lau which is uh, dedicated 
not dedicated to, but kind of about his mother who passed away um, the previous year. And um, he explores his relationship with her. Again, great chord writer, great lyricist, and uh, just such a prolific songwriter. I think that's the thing I like about him most, is he's put out so many albums. Uh, a great case in point is he's released three Christmas albums, um, one of which has about 56 songs on it. That's the Christmas album. He's put out so many other different projects and he's just always doing something. His songs are always on the money and he's just, uh, he's just fantastic. So, oh, sorry. <laughs> I just leaned on the piano and turned the metronome on by accident. Sorry, I'm not... That's, that's a good end, I think. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. That's fine. Um, but yeah, just prolific songwriter. Just always good, always varied. Uh, he does everything from samba to, uh, you know, touching acoustic ballads. He writes on piano and guitar. He plays the flugelhorn, the drums, the cello, pretty much everything on his albums. He once said that he wants his music to sound like an elementary school marching band. Uh, he's kind of gone away from that now with his most recent output, but there was a point where it did sound like that. Anyway, that's Sufjan Stevens, uh, last on my list. Pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Anyway. <laughs> right, I guess that about wraps up the podcast. We've done our top five. Indeed. Um, if you've got any suggestions of who you think is a fantastic songwriter who deserves to be discussed, then just pop it in the comments on SoundCloud or send us emails through Roger's uh, uh, site. What is it? RogerHeathers.com. There's a contact link on the, link on the site that you can uh, reach uh, Declan and, and me through. So Cool. And uh, we'll see you next week with new songs for the month anniversary of putting out the podcast. Wood, wood. <laughs> well, have champagne. Except you, because you can't drive. You have to drive home. Um, yeah, see you next week. See you next week. Bye-bye.